0: Uh, We're going to do it a little bit different today. We're going to take communion up front. And as it usually takes a few minutes um, for them to get it handed out, I'm just going to read to you out of a book by Joseph Prince called Health and Wholeness Through Holy Communion. All right? And uh, just so much revelation in this book. It says the Old Testament is the shadow of the New Testament. The New Testament... Is the real substance. Jesus is the true, perfect, unblemished Lamb of God, so the Passover in the Old Testament is a type of the Lord's Supper. Right during the first Passover, remember when the first time the Lord's Supper was given was on Passover. When when the when the Lord gave uh, communion with the disciples, it was on Passover, and during the first Passover with the Israelites. They killed the lamb. They put blood on the doorposts. This caused the destroyer to pass over their families. And God said in Exodus twelve thirteen, when you see the blood, think about communion. This, this, this cup is the new covenant. Cut my blood. When you see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. You know, this is communion, but it's the first communion ever. The blood was for the people's forgiveness. The blood covered their sins, appeased the righteousness requirements of God. But what did they do inside the house? Exodus twelve eight. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. They ate the roasted lamb and the unleavened bread. This was to give them strength for their exodus out of Egypt. It was not natural strength they received. It was supernatural. How do we know this? Psalm 105:37. This is talking about the exodus. He brought them forth also with silver and gold and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. We know that this lamb that they ate, was a mere shadow of the real substance. Think about Jesus. Take, eat, this is my body. So if the body of a shadow lamb could bring supernatural results to a 2.5 million Israelites, how much more the body of the true substance lamb? Lord Jesus Christ. David described it as a double cure. Bless the Lord in Psalm 103, 2 and 3. Oh, my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. That's communion. And notice that his benefits include the forgiveness of our sins, the cup, as well as the healing of our diseases, the bread. When Jesus took our punishment on the cross, it did not just bring forgiveness, it brought healing. And so I just, it's just, uh, it's communing with him. It's what we're doing. Can we, we put that sculpture up? Because he did say in, in Corinthians, when in the red letters, it said, it said, take, eat. This is my body, which was broken for you. And then he says, he says, remember me. What? Remember his broken body. And so you guys can stand or you can sit. What, I just want you to receive his love. I mean that's nothing but pure love right there. That, that 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 he would that he would do that that he would do that for even the most evil people. Just go through that. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, "Take eat this is my body which was broken for you." As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for everything you went through. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant. Cut my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. It's a blood covenant. And in that we have complete and total forgiveness, past, present, and future. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you'll ever commit, the Bible calls it absolute remission. Thank you, Father. You guys can be seated. And I just, when I talk about this subject that's in the Bible quite a bit, um, I just don't, I don't want in, anyone to feel any condemnation If you feel any pressure to give, then you should not give. Um, But I will, we're telling you what's in the Bible here. Here, God gave Abraham 10%, or Abraham gave God 10% of his income. Income back as proof and evidence that he honored God as a provider. And he was blessed incredibly for it. How blessed? Genesis 13, 2. Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. Isaac, who was Abraham's son, continued to reap from that life. It says in Genesis 26, 12 through 14, Isaac sowed in that land, and if you study it out, it was during famine, and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the blessed, and the Lord blessed him. And the man, what happened then? What He waxed great, went forward, grew, until he became very great, for he had possession of flocks, possession of herds, great store of servants, A lot of people working for him, and the the world envied him. Philistines envied him. So it happened for the children of Abraham, and Leviticus 27.30 says, And all the, the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. So in the Old Testament, Abraham and many others tithed. And in the New Testament, even the Pharisees, who Jesus called snakes, vipers, and hypocrites, remembered to tithe. And I'm here to tell you that tithing can and eventually will break any financial curse on your life. Each time you tithe, it's an act of faith, and it's literally a seed of obedience that creates momentum. And I'll say again, you're welcome welcome here at this church if you don't tithe. You're welcome here. But, but, but we're going to teach what's in the Bible. And when you tithe consistently, you create a consistent harvest. You establish a rhythm. Just like the four basic seasons each year, it's similar to this. You have to work with the law of sowing and reaping when it comes to money. You don't want to be erratic and unpredictable. Just like nature itself has a pattern, it has a rhythm. And when you get yourself in that seed, time, harvest pattern or routine When you honor that, its benefits will far outweigh any cost. And I'll just close this little offering message we're taking, talking about seed time and harvest, is Genesis 8.22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And so you guys can go ahead and bring those offering buckets up. I just I want to let you guys know that we appreciate you. We appreciate everything that you give, everything that you've given. Um, I'm, there's, there's not a, a more blessed church than this. And I, I just thank God for it. I just thank God for it. With a congregation like this, we are so blessed. And, and Holy Spirit, I just pray you make your face shine upon them. Shine it bright, God, upon them and their families. Bless this offering, Holy Spirit. Bless it, do with it as you will. Win souls around the world. Feed people around the world with it, Lord. Build churches around the world. Do with it as you will. We use it as a form of worship right now. We don't just do it in rote form. This is a form of honoring you right now as we give today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... Thank you, Lord, for the offering. We, we're in a series called uh, Revelation Revealed, number two. Uh, we did chapter one last week, and um, I have to... I have to. Last night uh, was really long, so I, I'm trimming it, right? But, but let, me, let me give you a couple verses just to catch you up if you weren't here last week. This is Jesus talking in Revelation 1.11, saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And he tells John, write promptly what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And and so we went through these verses in in depth, each verse last week, but... So these letters go out to these seven churches. And then let's just look at verse 20. As to the hidden meaning, the mystery of the seven stars, because it was Jesus standing with seven stars in his hand, which you saw in my right hand, and seven lampstands of gold. It's also called candlesticks in the King James. The seven stars are, are the seven angels, messengers, of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So uh, this is a setup for the, for the first letter to the church at Ephesus. I will say that we went over verses 1 through 20 last week. Um, the seven stars in the right hand, you have scholars. Um, in my opinion, many less commentators say that those stars are actual Angels. Way more commentators believe those seven stars are pastors of those seven churches. And we went into that in detail last week. But as Billy Brim says, it doesn't really matter what they are. All right? And so, um, but as we get started here, notice the book of Revelation. It, it's, it's, uh, it, it means an unveiling, all right? It, the unveiling, it's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis, where we get the word apocalypse. Um, the book of Revelation has 22 chapters, 404 verses, and in those 404 verses, 800 allusions to the Old Testament. It is the climax, the climax of the whole Bible. And I, w- I, t- I did not come across one commentator, because I try to find the all, what are all the opinions, right? And, and so I want to give you, uh, you know, what different, different sects, different people, different groups are saying. Because um, there are a lot of opinions when you get into the end times. Um, but, but they t- not one commentator did not believe that... The- that we have to take these seven letters and apply them to the modern-day churches around the world. Th- these are for now. Think about it. These letters are written to churches in Revelation uh, in the time of the what, what we call the apocalypse, the end times. I am telling you, it is a warning. It, it, if you don't think there's churches that can't have their... Lampstands taken away, in these in these times of contention, coming times, and um, these are to us chapters two and three. Um, you know these are written to the modern day churches around the world as well as those seven churches at the present. At this time that Revelation was written, ninety six A.D. I believe along with my parents and millions of other Christians that we will be in heaven from Revelation chapter 4 through the end of the book. And uh, chapters 2 and 3, I will say it, they are to us. They are being written to the uh, body of Christ today. It's interesting how each one of these letters closes out with a phrase, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. These seven letters to these churches have really what you would call four applications. These churches were real local churches and this is well known in history. Well known by historical experts, well investigated. They were all there. History can even prove that these churches had the problems that these letters are trying to correct. A famous scholar by the name of Sir William Ramsey established the fact That his detailed research, and through his detailed research and investigation, these churches had these exact problems that are being talked about in these letters. And as you can see, in Revelation 1.11, Jesus telling John, write a book and send these to the seven churches. Write them in a book. So yes... Hallelujah. Yes, we are going. Let's just see what happens here with the lights. Write a book. He says, he says to, the Holy Spirit says, you know, send these letters to the seven churches. So they each did receive an individual letter, Right? But what what that means is they all received all the letters. They got all the letters, all right? Thanks for the lights, Lord. And so I could have done it. All right. All right. right. I'm not dad, but I could have done it. All right. Um, And I believe that every church that you can find in this modern day world has elements of all seven of these letters. Some churches more than others. Each one of these letters has a theme that's addressing an issue. And all these letters, uh, you know, they, they apply to all churches in very very varying degrees. I, I could say that each one of these letters to these churches from, from Jesus Christ himself is a report card. It's a report card. And, and what they've done well, and what they haven't done well, and you had churches that thought they were doing well addressed, and and they weren't doing so well. And and the opposite churches that didn't think they were doing well found out they were doing better than they thought. And if you look at each one of these letters, you could break them out in the, into the way they're written. Each one, each one of these letters to these seven churches. Each one, you can take the name, each of, each of those names has a meaning. it has a commendation, it has uh, concerns, it has an exhortation, there's a promise to the overcomer, and each of these letters, you have this phrase, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So let's read, we're only going through seven verses. That's, it's going to have to be seven, seven messages, seven churches, right, and um revelation 2 1 through 7 is what what we're going through unto the angel of the church of ephesus write these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks so remember jesus walking in the midst of those churches those are the candlesticks. The, the churches are the candlesticks. And I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from where thou art fallen and repent, do the first works, or I will come unto thee quickly, will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise so let's break this down Ephesus in a lot of ways was a phenomenal city um but in a lot of ways it it may have been the most evil city even compared to anything today it was it, it was it was extremely dark city it was a city on a harbor it had it had a world uh, renowned marketplace its population for the size of the city. A city that day was huge. Because of the harbor, you had sailors constantly coming in and out of port on leave time. The architecture of Ephesus, the city was incredible. There was a theater in the city that was uh, 495 feet in diameter. The theater held 25,000 people. This sanctuary holds 2,500. So think about that, That's, that's huge. The library of Ephesus had carried over 200,000 volumes. It was touted, it is also touted what became known as one of the seven wonders of the world, called the Temple of Diana. The Temple of Diana had columns going 60 feet in the air. The Temple of Diana was also known as the Temple of Artemis. Artemis is known as the goddess of fertility. Diana was presumably the daughter of the Greek god Zeus and the sister of Apollo. A lot of worship involving Artemis, involved prostitution. And you had sailors coming in and out of there who had been sailing on the oceans for months. The temple of Diana, or Artemis, also said she's also called, as also, she's also called. Uh, Diana is the right name the Romans gave her. Um, They gave that temple. It had thousands of priests and priestesses. It was a huge place. It served as a great bank for kings and rich merchants, and it was also an asylum for fleeing criminals. Many scholars believe that this temple was the complete source of the moral deterioration of the population of Ephesus. It was just morally bad because of this temple uh, just being the centerpiece of the city. The philosopher uh, Heraclitus said this about the population of Ephesus. He said, The inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. And that was the reason why he could never laugh or smile because he lived amidst such untirable uncleanness. Many scholars believe the Christian church at Ephesus to whom this first letter is being written was probably... Uh, founded jointly by Aquila and Priscilla. And later, Paul gave it a big boost. Um, Timothy, John, and Mary's tombs are all in Ephesus. Many scholars believe that while John was on the Isle of Patmos, exiled, that Timothy was presently the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul had two experiences in Ephesus, and one was in in essence, was kicked out of the synagogue in Ephesus. He actually makes a comment in Acts 18.6, said, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm through trying to minister to the Jews. And, and he did. He went to the Gentiles, the pagans, the worshipers of Artemis. He, Paul works with the church of Ephesus for two years. Later, John the apostle who's penning this letter for Jesus Christ, served as pastor of this very church. And so towards the end of the first century, the church of Ephesus was considered theologically sound. They were hardworking people. Let's start in Revelation 2.2. We we already read one with Jesus walking amidst the lampstands, the churches. Uh, Revelation 2.2, he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. The phrase I know your works is repeated in all seven letters. I think this phrase in your labor and your patience um, and how you cannot bear them which are evil Remember, this is Jesus talking, and he approves it as seen, or seems to approve more on the whole than condemning them. Let's look at 2-2 again. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and cannot can't bear them which are evil. But look at this next phrase. And you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. What this means is Jesus saying there's a soundness soundness to their doctrine, all right? It's it's indicating that that there was uh, a disciplinary action taken over those that called themselves apostles, which could be implying that the disciplinary action taken against uh, those people calling themselves apostles was taken because of a matter of doctrine. So you have uh, the church at Ephesus with sound doctrine, probably well-versed in the truth of the gospel, because you have Christ actually commanding them for exposing lies of these false apostles. So we have evidence here that the church of Ephesus had knowledge of the truth. And if there was knowledge of the truth, that means they were studying the scriptures, probably giving good instructions in the principles of biblical doctrine, because if they weren't teaching it, the knowledge of this truth, then, then, then it couldn't have been maintained. And we know that they could discern between true and false doctrine. We know that. And uh, let, before I go to verse 3, and you know, I'm going to take these churches one at a time. I cannot blow through these chapters. I do believe, uh, I know my father plans on going through The seven letters to the seven churches as part of his mysteries series. Uh, The Sunday mornings crop services will only hear from me on the first two churches because he comes back, right? And so, and then I go back to Saturday nights. But I advise you to hear them both because this is the most important part of the book of Revelation. I've been saying I'm going to do the book of Revelation since March when we did the book of Daniel, but I think it's a good thing that Dad and I are on the same subject at the same time, Revelations 2 and 3, because it'll give you a really good breakdown of these seven letters. And I will tell you if we differ in opinion in any way, search the scriptures yourself. If you still can't decide, you need to go with what Max says and <laughs> go. Because he's the head pastor, and I, in a way, I wish Dad was going first. So then I knew I, 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 wouldn't, I know I wouldn't cross him up at all, cross plow him at all. Um, but I have no problem if he corrects anything I say. Um, Revelation two three, and has borne and has patience, and for my namesake has labored, and has not fainted. So why this sounds like a pretty good accommodation from the lips of Jesus, they seem, they're active in service, their conduct is good, theology is good, but something's missing. I read one commentator say, it's interesting that you do not see the words faith, hope, and love in these commendations. It just seems like while this church's brain and muscles are working together, there seem to be a heart problem. Notice he says, They have patience twice? How could you live in possibly one of the most ungodly cities that's ever existed and not have patience? You know, that temple was was an evil place, but besides that, there was witchcraft and mysticism all over that city. The phrase in verse 3, and have born, what it opens with means... That they were, they were on, they, they got on the right course, they stayed on the course, the course was right, and you have to remember, uh, when we're speaking of the church, we're talking about individuals who make up the church, always, it goes to the individual. And you know how verse three closed out that you did not faint means they could have fainted means they were traveling a tough road trying to be an effective church in that dark city. It's saying that Ephesus did not follow the path of least resistance. And what it's saying about Ephesus is even if their faith in Jesus Christ caused them inconvenience, it required them to take up the cross, and at at times they received big-time contempt from the world. And if you don't think this is coming to the Christian church today, then you're not paying attention. You're absolutely not paying attention. The the word Ephesus in the Greek means the desired one. Revelation 2, 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. This is the main point of the entire letter. The word first love. In the Greek is protos. It means first in rank. I, the first thing I thought when I, when I saw this phrase, it's a common phrase in today's language, you know? Songs, first love, left your first love, lost your first love. And I, the, the, What my mind went to, you know, just naturally went to is, I had a really good friend through high school and early 20s um, he, he, uh, he probably, I mean, we went different paths. He probably spent most of his time in the world. He had Jesus in his heart, but um, in the world, he'd be known as like a ladies' man, right? But he never got settled down and got serious, and then he found this girl. And this girl just, just, he was floating, Literally floating through air for like a year he, she just she managed, she changed him completely, and um, he just he loved her so much, and it was hard because you would he was the kind of guy that you would think he would never he would never really love anybody right that much and circum, some circumstances happened, and, and he, he had to he had to move on, but he never he never got over that he always there was always a sadness within him that that he that that ended right that first love that first love and he never he never got it back and i did his funeral and i i I sincerely believe he he uh he, he died of a broken heart you know and so you really could say uh, these guys in Ephesus are so busy doing the work of Jesus Christ, they don't have time for the relational side or the real relationship that they should have with the Lord. That's at first glance. So that, that would tell us it's probably not, the relational part might not be being preached as strong. I believe the message here, God prefers to have not only devotion, but a deep, loving relationship with him. In addition to the doctrine, and all through Scripture, there is joy that's associated with salvation. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm trying to hit all the angles, but I feel like Jesus is saying, let's go to Luke Luke 10. This This is what, in a sense, what he's saying. It came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister, Mary, which also sat, picture this in your head. Where where is this? They're in a house. Sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered, way down, about much serving. Came to him, said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she come help me right now. Jesus answered her and said, Martha, Martha. Martha. I mean, Martha, how did he do that? Martha, 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 Martha. Two Marthas, two Marthas. But what he said, you're careful, full of cares, and troubled about a lot of things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen the good part. And it's, you can't, you're not going to take it away from her. So Jesus is sanctioning the fact that Mary is sitting at his feet. Now look at this physically. It's it's got a spiritual context, but she's close to him. She's hearing him. She's looking at him, right? And Martha's working so hard, she's not hearing anything and getting mad at the sister or Christian who's receiving at his feet. This is saying that this church of Ephesus was needing more Marys than they have because everyone was hardworking. Martha was working so hard she wasn't hearing anything. She was just frustrated. Notice the scripture does not say you lost your first love. It says you left your first love. And it's saying that this is responsible, a responsible if not a willful act and it's serious enough that it could lead the church into utter ruin unless the church repented. That means change your mind. Change your mind, it changes your focus, and then that changes what you're doing. Um, first love can constitute not only a type of devotion to Jesus, it, it, it's describing Mary sitting at his feet, but remember he said it's the one needful thing You'll never hear him say that. The one thing that's needful. And we're really, we're we're talking about love here. But Christ gives us a strong hint in verse five on how to get back to that love. I believe to leave that first love is to, there's a lot of ways to leave it. And I don't think you leave it fast. And I don't think sometimes you even know you're leaving it. If you knew you were leaving it, you wouldn't leave it. And, but, but, but there's different, I just want to hit a bunch, some different angles. When you take your faith and move it into something else other than Christ and Christ crucified, and from there, the resurrection and what comes from the resurrection, you, you know, when, when you move it out of that thing, No resurrection, no gift of righteousness. What's that? It's a gift. E.W. Canaan said the ability to stand before God without a sense of guilt or inferiority. They could not do that in the Old Covenant. The priest couldn't even do that. He went in there with a chance to die, to stand before God. All so much comes... From Christ and Christ crucified, it's when we are attempting to live as a life as a Christian in our own strength, right? Galatians six fourteen. But far be it from me to glory in anything or anyone except in the cross. This just says it right there. Paul said he only preached Christ and Christ crucified. Nothing else mattered. There's no glory in anything else. But we know they did a lot of good work, don't we? They labored. They bore it. They didn't faint. But they lost their love. You know, when, when a Christian, when they're functioning like that, you'll find yourself where your faith and you're doing all these things your relationship with God, your faith gets put into the works, and and we've all been there to to some extent. And we forget the fact the cross is forgotten, the fact that he 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 died bleeding for us. We just forget that the kind of love that takes. Can we put the, this is why you're seeing this picture and this is you know you can could we put the sculpture up because you can never forget that And you're going to make that a lot worse in your head than that is right up there. That's that's just a man completely physically destroyed because he loves you. He would only do that because he loves you. And they, they lost their realization of that. You know? And, and what happens is your attention is, is drawn more and more to, to yourself and what you're doing. Okay? Um, let's look at Revelation 2.5. Remember, we're, we're not out of this yet. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen why they lose their first love? Well, he says, go back and look where you fell. That's a key word, fallen, and repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The church became so caught up in their programs, all the things they're doing, and it got so serious that Jesus was saying, quite suddenly, the church will be no more. And remember, we're in Revelation here. All right? This is going to happen to churches in this day and age. Are you aware of that? Because of, this, of what's going on here and what he's talking about. I wonder if because of their works, there was not some sort of spiritual pride in the congregation. Remember, Paul wrote to them in Ephesians, 115 and 16. Remember this? Well, what? He's loving them. Wherefore, I also have heard, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints. I cease not to give thanks for for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Do you see that? He covered that whole church by mentioning the church. You see, do you see how you can pray that way? Okay? He covered, I mention you in my prayer. Do you think he mentioned? He had a, name, a list of, of, you know, 2,000 people? No. He mentioned the church at Ephesus and covered them. Okay? In his prayers. But what happened, because Paul, that was 35 years earlier was when Paul was in Ephesus. This is one generation later. Okay? This is the second generation of believers. Let's think of, of a church now. I've seen 40 years here and watched churches all over the Twin Cities. Uh, 40 years. I've worked at the church 34 years. and You've seen churches come in and out of nowhere just explode and then just disappear. You've seen it all. You've seen some great, there's still great churches that are here before we were here. And you watch this, sometimes change happens in transition from the visionary and building generation to the next generation. And that next generation is enjoying all the fruit of the earlier generation. Jim and doing it in the sanctuary here. Well, my mom and dad started in a Radisson with 50 seats on on 55 used to be the Radisson. Then they're in North Hennepin. I wasn't trying to build the church. I was, I was just mad I even had to set up the sound. I was barely helped. I was a teenager with a bad attitude. And trying to put, but they're trying to put together praise and worship teams. They're, they're, they're hiring children's pastors, trying to get people to volunteer, running multiple prayer groups every week. And, and and you 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 look at this letter and it's a really good thing to keep in front of you, you know. I was I was uh, under Patsy Caminetti for two years in Singapore, and sometimes sometimes you know you you don't know when you're losing it, and it takes maybe time to lose it. But for some people, it's, you start in a wilderness where you're just it's dry. You know what I'm talking about, dry. Try, try. Patsy Kamene used to say, when you're in that spot and you don't feel like you're hearing him, always go back to the last thing you know he told you to do and do it. And you've already done it, do it again. A lot of times the next generation doesn't know the hardships and trials and they don't have a chance for their faith to be as challenged as much to see the Lord do the work. Think about David and Solomon. David was a king, a renowned warrior who probably stared death in the face hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Read that. I listen to it. I lo- I love First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles every night. I- I've been listening to it every night in my ear, and I just—it's amazing what David went through. You know, it cost him so much. His own son rebelled against him and wound up killed. It was always a struggle. So much blood. And for Solomon, all that great wisdom was more of a guy in the palace, a palace guy, who was constantly looking at a kingdom full of worshipful followers. Remember the Queen of Sheba? She did everything but worship him. You know, all that wisdom couldn't stop Solomon from leaving his first love. Remember, he had a visit, visitation from God at the age of 18. How could you have a, a visitation, a literal visitation from God where God shows up and says, make a wish, and I'll give it to you, like a genie or something? That's it. It, was, it was like that. What do you want? I'll give you whatever you want. And he picked a right thing that he gave, made him the richest man in the world. Picked wisdom. And how could you, you, you have that and then wind up worshiping a bunch of idols at the end of your life? It shows how fast, how easy, even the most intelligent, anointed people in the world can fall. Solomon was the wisest man that's ever been, and he lost his first love. I guess it goes back to what Jesus said. One thing is needful here to Martha. I'm sure we could, we could point to numerous churches, talented worship teams, uh, churches that hold numerous services at the same time, even on different campuses, sermons being streamed all over the world, training classes for Christian leadership, the best small groups in the state, great greeters, planting churches all over the world. These are all strong things for an active church. But, you know, sometimes all these activities, even though they're strong things, can keep believers from just being still and knowing that he is God. There can be so much going on all the time that people just aren't simply being with the Lord. You know... uh, even with, with me it's it's just all right, the car. You, you, seven minutes here, I only miss seven minutes away. Or seven minutes to go, or twelve minutes to go work out, twelve minutes back, twenty-four minutes. That's time with him. Seven minutes here, seven minutes back for lunch. Fourteen minutes. Seven minutes back here. Seven minutes back home. Another fourteen minutes. I know everything seems like seven minutes for me. Seven minutes in the shower. <laughs> Why is that? But but seven minutes, you know, just... Yeah, it, it, it it's a lot of time, but is it really time? You're just doing your program, Jim. Yeah, I'm gonna... Have I thanked him yet? Have I worshipped him yet? I've done tongues today. I've spoken the word today. I've... Right? I'm just saying it can turn... Even in you're trying to connect with him can turn into a program. And so, you know, I, I, okay, listen, I, 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 was, I, was, uh, I was the athletic director um, at Maranatha for a bunch of years, and then I became dad's ex- executive assistant for 26 months. He said I was the worst assistant that he's ever had. I'll tell you that today without blinking an eye, really serious. And so, I go to Singapore, uh, Raymond Bible Training Center t- from 2003 to 2005. The children were little, and I just had so much emotional scarring, just probably just from being the, the, the son of Mac Hammond. I, I you know. And and, and, I, and most of it is of my own making, right? Just a lot of wars. A lot of wars. Hated a lot of people. A lot of people hated me. And so... And I remember being in Rhema. I was only in Rhema about a week. And then I, I, I came home one day. My kids were at school, and uh, we had lived in an apartment with... It had tile floors. And... uh I said, you know, I, I've always looked at worship as just the church doing it together kind of thing. And, and Hill, at the time, Hillsong had just gotten big. Just first album, What a, all the churches over there played the same five songs of Hillsong every week, right? For their praise and worship. So I, I, I put in a, a CD and, and I actually, I, I turned off the lights in my daughter's room and it was odd because I, I get down on my knees. I said, I'm really gonna try this. I'm gonna try this hard. And I, I was like, I looked around to see if anyone was looking. It was just kind of it was kind of like it's kind of a pride breaker to do this if you've never done it. And then and then I'm I'm just I just start to pray, you know, praise him. You know, never done this. And and something just I don't know, I just started to cry, and I probably hadn't cried in 10 years. And I'm just sobbing, sobbing. I remember looking down, it was a tile floor, and there's a puddle like this big. I don't even know how long I was there. And, and, and I had a little vision in my head, right, of, of a, like a wall that was really distorting things for me, um, in front of me, at an angle. And... Uh, the Lord said, the Lord said, he said, you have a lot of unforgiveness, um, and I'm gonna sh- I want to show you how to get rid of it. And so, and so he, he says, make a list, you know, and the list was of 30 people, right? I wasn't even around these people, but they still took up space in my head. I was across the world, Right? And he says, pray for those people, mention them, okay? Go through them by name, mention them, and pray everything for them that you do for you and your own family. Everything. Not just a quick blessing. And it's just, it was wild, you guys, because within two or three months, I didn't even think about these people. Because I pray, I was really praying for them. I pray for them in every, just mention them once a day and say, Lord. All these things that I'm saying to you, I'm connecting to you, I'm lifting up to you, I'm repeating back to you, your promises are yes, yes, and amen. Yes, yes, they are. It's for these people, right? And it was, even coming, in coming back, we'd be back for little pieces of time in the summers, I, I would see these people and they would approach me and in, in, in reconnect or apologize I hadn't even seen these people. And it happened twice. I thought, that's coincidence. I don't believe it. Seven of these people within two trips back here had approached me. And why? Because I'm praying for them. But the unforgiveness turns into bitterness. And just like the love of Jesus has roots, bitterness has roots. And you will slowly, that first love will sift away. In the wind, no matter how hard you're trying and working and doing the works, but, but it hardens your heart. So, you know, how many times have we heard of 10% of the church uh, doing 90% of the work? These guys were so diligent at Ephesians with on the ministry side, with the work side, I believe they were sacrificing sacrificing, cultivating their relationship with the Lord, sitting at his feet with prayer time or time in the word or worship or tongues. There was a missionary in China didn't get one soul saved for two years and he prayed all the time, right? And worked so hard And, and he just didn't know why. One night God gave him a dream and it was a scale, His works and his prayers were here. His thanksgiving was here. So he started to thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Sometimes you just need to drop everything. That's why he says thank God in everything. There's power in that. There's a power, and the more you do it, the more grateful you become. I'm just trying to tell you how to shake uh, sometimes out of that, that falling away that dryness, you know? Andrew Womack, you know, Andrew, again, just and Andrew Womack. I never, I never ask the Lord for anything. I never have to ask him for anything. I just walk around thanking him all day and he just gives it to me. I thank him for it, he gives it to me. That's because his relationship's so amazing with God. So, so I, I just thinking and closing down verse five, he says, remember from when whence thou had fallen. I think a little bit because of maybe the pride in the works. Remember, it says they did great works. They worked hard. He commended them on their labor. They labored and they worked. But I just think that took precedence. And look at the words, remember where you have fallen from. Where were you when you fell, when you started to fall? Can you figure that out? And I just thought about that word fallen. How, how is that used in, it, used in the New Testament? Well, Galatians 5, 4. And it, seen, it matches. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Okay, law is under the law, the Old Testament law, you're judged solely on what you did. It's a frame of mind that that Romans warns you of. It's a way of thinking. Ah, striving to do, to get him to do for you. Right, you can get so caught up in that. It says in Galatians, if you're in that frame of mind and you're, that in the end you're gonna be disappointed You're going to be a disappointed, bitter Christian. And probably mad at the Christian sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving. It's not sin falling from grace. It's transferring your faith from Jesus and what he did at the cross and not just staying at the cross, but through him being raised from the dead and all that comes from being raised from the dead. The authority, the gift of righteousness, healing, deliverance, prosperity, it all comes from the cross and the resurrection. And it all comes from that love. He couldn't have done it for you unless he didn't. He didn't do it for you not love you. He loved you. But the only way the grace of God is extended to Christians and can continue to be extended to us in an uninterrupted flow is by the Christian continuing to exhibit faith in the finished work of Christ and understanding that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, a deep relationship with him is, is by the means which you get everything or you lose everything. Don't, you can't lose sight of that. Jesus, Jesus tells the church at Ephesus, he says, repent twice or else I will come to you and quickly remove your church from its place. I just think it's saying, go and do the things you were doing in the beginning. They had fallen. Go back to what you were doing in the beginning. In a sense, go back to that first faith. Remember that first love, that first excitement of knowing you're right with the Lord. Your sins are forgiven I can remember it wasn't, I, I, I got under a revelation in Singapore that I always walked around thinking, everything I've reaped since I was 13, I'm going to sell. So I've got to go through years of reaping. So, so why not just be bad anyways? What, 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 I'm gonna. I was always thinking lightning was gonna hit, and you, you know what? What happened to me? I found out all that stuff is just cleared, wiped away by the by what? By His love for me at the cross, and it was. There's no condemnation, the shame, the condemnation. You you know there is. Do the people get that in the beginning? Do they not? I got it late, but I got it. I remember getting it. So the Ephesians church went from revival to rebuke. A return to revival for them was just a change of mind and then a change of heart away. And if you've ever let your love for Jesus wane, maybe you've never known Jesus well enough to establish that first love, but it says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Revelation As We're starting to close here. But the 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 Nicolaitans. But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice Jesus hates the deeds; he doesn't hate the Nicolaitans, because you will see that these deeds here being done by the Nicolaitans will become doctrine in the next letter, and we'll be we'll talk about that when we get into the letter next week. Some scholars suggest there was a first-century sect claiming apostolic authority for their opinions. And they get this from the name of one of the seven deacons in Acts. This guy named Nicholas formed a sect that was claiming apostolic authority. Other scholars that believe that the word is an untranslated word, it comes from the Greek word "nako," that word meaning conquer, and laity or laos is people. And they believe that the deeds that were offending Jesus was a tendency for the clergy to rule over the laity, control them completely. Okay, and Jesus is saying, "I'll give you this. You hate their deeds, and so do I." Revelation two seven: He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And as we start to as we start to close here, he who has an ear. You can see this in the epistles, all seven epistles, this phrase. You can see it in the Gospels. And when you read the word ear in the Old Testament and in many New Testament passages, it is believed that you should read from the perspective of how the Jews received this. To hear in regards to the Bible is not only meant to take in information, but to hear it and respond to it. What it's saying, this phrase, is we have been given a spiritual organ Needed to hear God's voice, and this is a warning teaching us that because we have that capacity, we need to respond. And again, these seven churches represents the, the entirety of the church age. This means the complete entirety of the church for all time to hear what the Spirit says. What the Spirit is saying to the churches as it regards to the overcomer, okay? To him that overcometh, well, I Give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise. Number one, eternal life. The tree of life. Number two, the tree of life is being used as symbolism that actually pertains to Jesus Christ. Because remember in John 6:51, he said, "I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever." i.e. the tree of life. The third thing is the paradise of God that goes back to the Garden of Eden and is used for symbolism of heaven itself. I want to I wanna, I wanna show you this video, but I feel like I learned, I learned a lot from Saturday night, right? Like to make adjustments. So this video is, you're going to see a, you can see this all over YouTube. This, is all, this has gone viral. This was the founder of the Church of Satan in South Africa, this is who it is, you're gonna see him on the screen. Go right to the words, all right? Because of his accent, you might not pick up what he's saying. This is a 35 second clip of a two minute clip you can actually see on uh, YouTube as we're, as we're talking about experiencing the love of Christ, right? Um, go ahead, let's play that video.
1: I had a meeting with council members at the, at the church and they said, okay, great, now we've done all these interviews and people know and It's growing. Satanism is growing. And believe me, people, it is. And I had to do a ritual by myself to see how do I get more, more power, more influence. And I did this ritual and I opened myself up and Jesus appeared. And I was extremely cocky. And I said, if you are Jesus, you need to prove it. And he flooded me with the most beautiful love and energy. I have for a long time believed that I am not worthy of God's grace. Let me tell you something today. The kingdom of God is not a gated community. The kingdom of God is open to everybody. The love of Christ is unconditional. When you experience it, it is something different. It's my prayer that you will feel the love. I pray that the peace of Christ will be with you.
0: So, you know, I believe we are in the end times. I believe evil is rising. You heard him say, Church of Satan is exploding. But isn't that something? The founder of the Church of Satan in South Africa. And then he's trying to get more power and he's in this ritual and Jesus shows up. And he and and, and he he's cocky with him, he's arrogant with Jesus, he said. And Jesus just floods him with his love. You see how I mean? You pray for that man's safety. You hear me? And 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 it goes completely viral. And I'm just saying, as 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 we close, could, could you guys just bow your heads and close your eyes? This is this is this is a big big deal. I mean, I just really need. I can't. Please don't have people looking around because this is really gonna mess with people if your people are looking around. All right? But but I just feel like if he can do that with one of the devil's children, flood him with his love. Now his child, right? He can do it with you because you're his child. I just need you to be, it said repent, right? And a form of that is acknowledging, I've, I've lost it. If you've left or lost your first love, can, can you show me your hand and keep it up? There's no one looking around. If you've, if, you've, if you've left or lost your first love, that first love that you had with God, I just, I, I, bet, I bet there's 50 hands. Okay, you can put those hands down. Let's just, uh, let's just be still and know he's God. Here, let's just you know the prayer of agreement is, is more more powerful. I believe than any any prayer, I believe. And we're gonna say that, and we're going we're just gonna ask him because you can't say you can't ask for an experience of his love. If Paul prays it in, in Ephesians 3, to experience his love. Father, I, I, if I, you know, you know, Lord, I've been praying <laughs> since Friday for these people to receive it, Lord. All we can do is ask, you know, Lord, if I could, if I could just, if I could make them take it, if I could hand it to them myself. I would do it. I would do it to everyone. But I can't and we can't. It's nothing we can generate. It's you. It's asking and agreeing. Mighty name of Jesus Christ for them, you to touch them. They just need a touch, Lord, whether it be a soft touch, a hard touch. Melt them, Lord. Melt them with your love today. This week, give them a revelation of the love of Jesus Christ. May Christ, through their faith, actually dwell settled down, abide, and make his permanent home in their hearts. May they be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. May, we have, may they have the power and be strong to apprehend Chase it down. Grasp it. The experience of that love. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it? May they come to know your love, Jesus, which passes knowledge. So they would be filled with all the fullness of the Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.